Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce um, my guest, I just wanted to let you know about my second book. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. And um, I was recently on the Faith Matters podcast talking about the, this new book with uh, my friends Aubrey and Tim Chavez. If you wanted to hear more about that book, I will link in the show notes to the Faith Matters podcast. They're doing great work at Faith Matters and honored to be a part of their um, platform and talk more about this book. But that's the only plug I'm giving. I usually try to get right to our guests. Um, but that's a book I think you'd find helpful as we're trying to improve Latter-day Saint culture so that more can connect with our beautiful restored doctrine and find hope and healing in their life. But um, we do lots of LGBTQ podcasts, and I'm honored to have Teresa Myers on the podcast. And um, she is going to share her story as a bisexual Latter-day Saint. And as you know, I kind of give a, a little bit of an intro and then turn it over to my guest to kind of expand out that intro, clarify that intro, and get into her story. But um, Teresa grew up in Massachusetts. I'm not, um, how far from Boston? You're west of Boston. About half an hour. Um, an area where I used to go for work quite a bit. So we were reminiscing about where she grew up. And I love that part of Massachusetts. It's green. It's beautiful. It's good running country. And I love that part of the world. Um, Teresa's married. She's 24 years old. She's a temple worker. She recently graduated from BYU. Tell our listeners what you graduated in and what you do. I graduated in wildlife sciences. And for me, it wasn't the hardest choice because I kind of explain it like I never grew out of the five-year-old animal loving phase. And I just wanted to learn more about how the world worked. And when I found out there was a major for that, I went with it. And it's led to a lot of really cool opportunities. And right now, actually, I work for the Division of Natural Resources in southern Utah. And it's the aquatics region or aquatics department. So I'm out and about pretty much testing every body of water that there is and making sure that the right species balance is out there. Um, I think it's great you're outdoors. And I love people that have taken a childhood passion and turned it into a career. And there's a real need for the work you've done. And um, congratulations on getting this pretty demanding degree from what I understand at BYU. And congratulations on being married um, and just being open about your sexual orientation. Um, whenever I do a podcast, I kind of um, invite you, if you're LGBTQ, outer closeted, that um, hopefully something that my guest says will be helpful for you. Um, I encourage, uh, and if you're a parent or a local leader, or just somebody trying to learn more about this space, I hope that something will touch you and be able to help you. Zion, for me, is helping create community with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and bring us together as the same body of Christ. Um, but it's my heroes of the podcast, as you know, are these people that <laughs> reach out to me and and we explore sharing their story. And every story is different and valid and needed. And I just, when someone knocks on my door and rings that doorbell, and I think of the courage it takes to walk up the steps to my home or join me on a Zoom meeting and then being willing to share their story, it's heroic. And um, it doesn't become rote to me. <laughs> And I'm deeply moved often by the spirit hearing somebody share their story. So that is Teresa's story. And with that, I'll just kind of let you go wherever you want to go, Teresa. First of all, tell us how to spell your name, because Teresa is a name that can be spelled a few different ways. And even Myers 
can be spelled a couple of ways. I want our listeners just to see your name in their minds spelled correctly. Um, I do often get the H in there, but it is spelled T-E-R-E-S-A and Myers is M-Y-E-R-S, which I'm still getting used to the last name because I've been signing a different one my whole life. <laughs> Tell our listeners your maiden name. Uh, my maiden name is Whitesell. And so that both last names are on any social media, just to make it easier. Cause that's part of the reason doing this is I know my process was very lonely at times and I had a lot of fear that I didn't want others to experience. And so I'm hoping that this resonates with a couple people out there that they find a little bit of community or if they feel like they need someone in particular that they have safety and another resource. That's great. That's go ahead and just share your story. Let's just dive right in, Teresa. <laughs> so I want to start with just pointing out that this is my story and not anyone else's. And this is how I perceived the situations that I was in. And it doesn't reflect on anyone else's understanding of how they saw me because I don't know all of their perspectives. I just know mine. Um, so I officially figured out and admitted to myself that I was bisexual about three years ago. Uh, this was after I had served my mission, which was actually very helpful in me understanding more about that side of myself and my need for the gospel to mesh with it. But I got home from my mission and started to realize that my feelings for my best friend at the time were different than what I had learned was standard. It led to a lot of difficulty on my end because I had just served a full-time mission in Roseville, California for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I had taught all of this doctrine and these principles that all of a sudden seemed like they didn't apply to my life. And it seemed like who I was didn't fit into this plan that I had been teaching. And it hurt a lot. And I didn't know what to do with it because I grew up in a family that was very conservative where this kind of conversation never came up. And the words gay or lesbian or orientation were never spoken at home. And so I just had no idea and no experience to understand how to work with myself in a way that wasn't damaging not only to myself, but also others. Um, and that's one thing that I've learned and have been working on is as you get to know yourself, there's a high probability that you're going to unintentionally hurt others in the process. And for a long time, I judged myself for that. And there was a lot of guilt and shame there, but I did eventually learn that I can't blame myself for a lack of understanding. And if we didn't have any pains, then there wouldn't be any purpose for the atonement of Jesus Christ either. Um, so as I figured out that side of myself, I flip-flopped a lot between this desire of the natural man and wanting to explore this side of me that felt 
incredibly good in a way I had never understood before. And the side of me that I felt would be damaged if I followed through with what I felt like was my authentic self, um, where I spent moments following those desires of the natural man, and then I would immediately flip-flop back to the guilt and shame of this doesn't fit with the plan that I had. This doesn't fit with what I've taught and what I've learned. And I need to fix myself and fix those involved. And that was a huge part of where I feel I needed to repent a little bit because it's never my job to fix anyone else. And even the whole understanding of the situation, it wasn't something to be fixed. It was just something that needed to be brought to further light. And I know that I was overbearing at times to those that I was closest with because I was doing my best to understand, but it just resulted in more confusion. And over time, I was eventually able to figure things out to talk to friends and confide in others in a way that became a safe space rather than believing that my existence was a mistake. Um, and I think that's actually a relatively common feeling for people in the community who are Christian or religious of any kind, because it's a very common teaching that you can't be both. And it took me a while, but I was eventually able to figure out that you can be. When you say both, just expand on that a little bit. Um, I can say the two sentences together. I am an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I am bisexual. Where I can explain that I have romantic feelings for women and men, but I also believe that God is our Heavenly Father and that He has an unconditional love with His Son, Jesus Christ, for us and hopes that we will depend on him when we can't even depend on ourselves. I like that. And maybe you're going to get to this, but do you think being bisexual is a mistake? I don't. Because in the beginning I did, where I saw this part of me that just didn't fit. And I had a period of time where I was frustrated and confused at Heavenly Father because I didn't understand. And I eventually was able to learn and recognize all of the ways that he was showing me that he still loved me. Where that part of me that disliked who I was wasn't coming from him. It was coming from myself and from others that I heard things said about the community or from people who also just didn't understand. And it hurt a lot in the beginning, but I eventually was able to grow enough to recognize that it's never anyone's intention to tell you that you're a mistake. Thank you. That was great.
something that has been really important for me throughout this process of understanding who I am has been the gospel and the temple. Um, another preface, I understand and recognize that the ordinances in the temple are hard for a lot of people in the community to listen to, to hear and believe in because it doesn't seem to resonate with the creation of us. However, if I hadn't had the gospel and the temple to stabilize me and that foundation that my mission had built, then I don't know where I would be right now. And I don't even know if I would physically be here because not only are there orientation aspects that I've struggled with, I have a lot of mental health issues. And one of the huge blessings that has actually come from following the Spirit and working with Heavenly Father to work through my orientation was getting married to a man. And that process of getting married to a man is the reason why I was able to start learning how to take care of myself. If I hadn't gotten married, I would not have gone into a professional doctor to try and understand why I was feeling the way that I was. And it's never easy to understand or even recognize, but for me, throughout my teenage years, as I was subconsciously battling with orientation because there was a part of me that knew, I just couldn't look at it in the face. Um, the conscious part of me was battling with self-worth and with understanding unconditional love and with even figuring out that I had a purpose here or was needed on this earth. And I spent a lot of time feeling isolated and alone. And I didn't understand why. And I even thought that it was normal to have suicidal thoughts in high school. So I pushed through because I just assumed that everyone felt that way. And it made it harder in a lot of ways to do almost anything because I had this additional block. But I was able to finally go in after over 12 years of struggling and suffering to a doctor because I had been willing to listen to the spirit in that direction of marrying Corbin. And so I, just, I see that as not a direct benefit of getting married, but a side part of the plan that was unexpected, but incredibly helpful because I also had to learn that process of it's not a bad thing to take medication. And sometimes our human bodies are flawed. Our spirits are created by Heavenly Father and those are perfect. That's who we are because Heavenly Father doesn't make mistakes. But those natural bodies that were put in create obstacles and challenges that actually allow us to come closer to God and to be that person that he wants us to be as long as we're willing. And even if our personal choices don't line up with maybe Heavenly Father's perfect plan, he still works with us in the way to make us the most happy because that's all that he wants is for us to recognize that we're loved no matter what we do. Thanks for being so honest with and vulnerable with your mental health, with feelings of suicide, with feelings, I wrote down this phrase, my existence is a mistake. 
that's a tough place to be. And with a support system to sort of address that with. And I like your vocabulary. I just kind of push through. And um, I think you did the best you can. I've got some questions that have come to my mind. Do you want me to ask those? Yeah. Um, Teresa, do you want to continue with your story? That works for me. It's a good pausing point. Um, I loved what you said about the temple. Um, and I think perhaps many Latter-day Saints, some, I don't know how many, would feel there's things they don't always like in the temple. It's not like a... Um, I've been watching baseball today, listeners. It's not like batting 100% where you're four for four or you pitched a perfect game. Um, so for a lot of people, it's the overall experience is really good, but there's parts of the temple that may not resonate with them and they can still be faithful Latter-day Saints and believe in the temple. And so if someone opens up about some part of the temple they don't like, I think we need to give them space that they're faithful Latter-day Saints and and maybe in a future adjustment, something that they're not completely comfortable with will be comfortable. Um, but I love also, you held both of these thoughts in that statement. You said, I love the foundation it gave me. And even though it wasn't like a perfect experience for me, it did give me the foundation along with my mission to be where I am right now that I'm kind of, have a, I call it writing your own story. And being in a position of strength when it's time to write your own story. And you're writing your own story is coming out. Um, you came out to Corbin. We'll probably talk about that. You felt your best path forward was to marry a man. And I think you made that not out of fear, but faith, partly because of the foundation you work you put in with the temple and your mission. And not always listening to other voices sort of saying, this is how you do it. This is how you live your truth. This is how you do being a bisexual woman. Because there's a lot of people probably say prescriptively how you should do that. Um, so I just thought that was really thoughtful and would perhaps help other listeners that need that nuance you built in um, to your temple experience. But a question is, what would you go back and say to your younger self um, in those dark days where you're thinking about suicide? What would, you, what would you say to your younger self? And this is you talking to others that might be right there right now. I, the first thing that comes to mind is I would say, tell someone because the most powerful tool that the adversary uses is isolation. And I've learned and recognized that I spent so long with these thoughts in my head that I just assumed were normal for everyone. Tell someone you're suicidal or tell someone you're not straight or both. The both eventually, if you're comfortable. The big one being suicidal. Okay. Um, or if you're just having any mental health issues. Okay. The orientation is more up to your own jurisdiction and your comfort because it's not... Suicidal thoughts can be very dangerous. And even when we don't feel like anyone cares, there are people that do. And so by vocalizing that, it allows for yourself to understand and piece together thoughts that maybe you hadn't been able to recognize before, but it also gives someone else a chance to feel the spirit, to be vulnerable, and to show love that you didn't know was there. Which can also be said for the orientation piece, because um, I have heard a couple others say this too, but there is a very distinct feeling 
of you need to come out to this person where the spirit has a relatively blunt way of letting you know that it's needed in this conversation, even if it doesn't feel like it fits or is necessary. Um, And that's another piece I can talk about in a little bit is just the importance of recognizing those promptings and being willing to follow through even when they don't make sense and the opportunities that it brings. That's great. Keep telling your story. And there may be listeners that are single like you that aren't straight, um, bisexual, let's keep stay with bisexual, that want to marry someone of the opposite sex, but are wondering, should I tell them ever? Or should I just keep this to myself? Because if I'm bisexual, I could probably make a straight marriage work, quote unquote, and never come out ever. And you're going to have some thoughts on that at some point. I think there's some listeners would love to hear your thoughts on how you and Corbin process that. So I have learned a lot over time that the power of vulnerability, which Brene Brown also has an incredible book on series on. And I learned a lot from that. Um, But especially with a significant other, I feel that it's very important to talk about that side because it's how someone responds in a situation like that will tell them a lot about their own spirituality and maturity and their desires with you. And it will also allow yourself to normalize it where the first person that you come out to, it's terrifying. At least in my experience, it was, I was, my mind twisted that part of myself into being so important that no one would agree with it and I would lose friends and family over it, which some have. But I have been incredibly lucky in having relatively supportive responses and Corbin was no different. Um, He is one of the most kind and thoughtful people that I have ever met and I don't think he says a single thing unless it's a quip while you're playing sports that he hasn't thought about beforehand. And I was worried when I told him that he would end things, that he wouldn't want to be with me and that he would see that as the only part of me, which I had started to do, and that he would not want to continue with the relationship. And I told him last October, which was about three months after we had started dating. And it was one of those situations where I felt prompted to share it. And the setting was a little bit funny for me because in my mind, I had this understanding of how it was going to go, where I was going to say it and he would turn the other way and want to be done. And the prompting came while I was in Arizona and had a flight home with him and his brother was driving me home. So I was like, you want me to talk to this man who I'm very interested in, which doesn't happen very often, about an orientation aspect of myself that's going to turn him away and then I have to sit on an airplane with him for the next who knows how long and then be in a car with his brother. So for me, it was very nerve wracking. Um, But it was outside of my friend's house because we were actually in Arizona for my roommate's ceiling. And 
were sitting on the swing outside and I told him that there was an important part of me that he needed to know about and understand if he wanted to continue with the relationship because it felt it, it's a part of who I am. And for me, that vulnerability of sharing the purest form of self with someone else is needed, especially if it's going to lead to something further than dating. And I also wanted to give Corbin kind of an opt out if he wanted to earlier on rather than not giving him a choice later. Um, but he responded really well. And from my perspective, I thought it was great. And we'd had the conversation and I felt really good about it and we were done. But come to find out that he actually felt, he told me that he felt the most distant than he ever had in our relationship when I came out to him. And of course, hearing that shocked me. And I just had this fear come over me and I was unable to comprehend or understand how I was supposed to move on. So I did the only thing that the spirit was able to get through to me and that was ask more questions to understand why that was his response. And I found out because of asking that question that he had had some negative experiences with members of the community. And he associated my coming out to him with those experiences. So of course he was going to be scared and unsure of everything because he hadn't had an understanding of the good and he'd only had the overbearing that some people in any area of life can have. So it was really cool to see, to learn and grow with him in a way that it not only strengthened our relationship, but it also widened his understanding of breaking down stereotypes of how people in the community are. I love, I love that you talked to him. Um, and I love that you acted on the personal revelation. That's, that's one of the principles that I just think transcends all the podcast stories is because they're not all the same. And I think, and maybe you'll get to that is just the principle of personal revelation. And you felt you wanted to talk to him, but then you did it at this point, which logically wasn't the right time <laughs> given the flight home and all that. And your mind had sort of maybe to protect you thought, well, he's going to leave me. And, and, but it ended up being a positive experience. There may be some of you that are married saying, well, I wish I'd done what Teresa had done and talked about this in the engagement process, but now we're married and I don't know how this will go over married. And I think the principle that Teresa just taught would be the principle we'd both invite you is, you know, seek personal revelation on this. It may be your personal revelation to not come out. I've had some people call me and say, I'll never be on your podcast. And I go, well, why? And they go, because I'm never coming out. That's my personal revelation. I go, I honor that. Um, you're not being not authentic. You're not, li not living your truth. It's just what you're feeling is your personal revelation given your circumstances. And But it sounds like you're out to yourself, which is a good thing. And I think everybody, I would generally invite everybody to be out to God, to our Heavenly Father, and develop a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father because um, my experience talking with people is that often is very healing to feel that this part about them is accepted and created by our heavenly parents, um, even if you don't feel it's your, your plan to come out. Any more thoughts you just give the listeners that are kind of trying to do what you're doing? Um, and I, 
And often, as we've talked about, Brene Brown, you brought vulnerability brings vulnerability. So in my experiences in my YSA assignment, when the YSAs were vulnerable about the realities of their life, um, it often brought their marriage, their engagement, their relationship closer together because they could both be vulnerable. And they could develop this foundation in their marriage on trust and honesty and supporting each other. And it, it often was a, it not always, sometimes that vulnerability ended a relationship like you were worried about, but often it did just the opposite. And it just gave them foundational skills that I think that make them better partners and better parents down the road. Because um, they'll probably create cultures in their own family where vulnerability is encouraged and kids are because um, parents already have the skills to be vulnerable, that kids learn that their parents are a safe place for them. Um, so any more thoughts on any of that, Teresa? I, vulnerability has been a long road for me. It's, I grew up in a house that we weren't very vulnerable about how we were feeling or situations. And my parents often gave off the everything is perfect and we will have our little disputes and quarrels upstairs when the kids can't see it. Um, Sounds like the home that my raised our kids in. <laughs> my wife and I. I'm learning from your generation. <laughs> I, I think it's important to see imperfections because that's, I was talking to a friend about how the world tells us that we need to be these perfect images, these perfect personas, like people love everyone who has no flaws. But then they also say, you need to be honest because if you're not honest and don't show who you are, then people aren't going to like you. But as soon as you're honest, they shun you for showing an imperfection. That's kind of the stereotype standard the world has set when in reality, that vulnerability is what is the basis of any relationship that will continue to last, whether it's a couple months or years or a lifetime. No strong relationship can exist without vulnerability. And it's something that I had to learn the hard way at times. That's part of the difficulty of vulnerability is you're giving someone else a piece of you that is harder for you to share and maybe you don't fully understand. And there are times that people will abuse that. That's just how the world works. Not everyone is on the same page as you and not everyone received the same revelation as you. But by giving someone an opportunity to be vulnerable by being vulnerable yourself, it allows for a lot more growth and change than a closed off world. And if anything, I've learned so much from other people sharing their stories with me and other people being vulnerable because they're able to put words to feelings or thoughts that I didn't understand or even recognize. I love that. Um, and one of our guests taught me the concept of a vulnerability hangover. Um, Spencer Thompson did that. He's, um, helps with North Star. I think he's president of North Star, but he talks about he's gay and he's married to a woman. He talks at times about being gay in his ward. Um, and it takes incredible vulnerability to do that. But he talks about the vulnerability hangover of like going to church the next week and you've sort of put it all out there. 
And it's a ministering principle when people are vulnerable about whatever they need. It's not immature. It's not that we're weak. We need reassurance that what we did was a was acceptable because you have already played out what's going to happen in your vulnerability with Corbin. He's going to end the relationship. So anybody that's being vulnerable in any setting generally is self-protecting themselves and thinking all the negative things that are going to happen. And so coming back after a vulnerable experience, the thing that we can do is reassure people that we really appreciate what they did and keep the conversation going. Sometimes people that have been vulnerable they want to keep the conversation going, or we could at least ask, you know, you came out as bisexual last week in that conversation to me. Um, this isn't Corbin as much as just a friend. I'm role-playing here. Would you like to keep talking about that? Are there more things that came to your mind? Or, and sort of ask, if we're a friend, sort of ask, would you like to keep the conversation going? You know, you were really courageous a week ago when you told me that. So sometimes those of us are on the receiving end of vulnerability have a responsibility because it's a gift that's been given to us. We have a responsibility to sort of um, continue to minister to the person that's opened up to us. If we just never talk about it again, most of the time that is not helpful for the person that was vulnerable. Any more thoughts on that? I, I think that a lot of people just don't know the best way to respond where at least for me in the beginning, when I was learning and understanding vulnerability, if somebody opened up to me about something difficult, like a death in the family or a mental health issue, I was afraid that a response that I had would shut them down again or would push them away because it would be the wrong response. And I've just learned over time that people don't always necessarily need a perfect response all they need to know is that you're still there and you love them and especially with orientation one of the hardest parts in that process of understanding yourself is I went through so many spirals of self-doubt and self-loathing where I didn't feel like I deserved love because of this part of me that loved people that I quote wasn't supposed to but in reality talking to other people and seeing how they responded was one of those things that helped me take away that shame because I was incredibly lucky in having close friends that were supportive where some of the examples of what were really helpful responses were there was always love where that is, that is our number one thing to do is to love others. It's, top commandments there's no more than one of them but there's no reason even if we don't see things eye to eye with someone else or understand to break someone down for a belief or understanding that they have especially if they're in the process of figuring it out so having that response of love is huge and i had a friend who thanked me for sharing that vulnerability and then made sure that I understood that she did not see me any differently. Where that was always the greatest fear for me was that people would hear this part and they would change how they treated me and what they thought of me. And I had a couple different people vocalize that I'm still the same Teresa that they got to know, which was incredibly helpful for me and helped me understand that it is just a part of who I am. 
it's not some big external piece that doesn't fit in the picture. It just makes sense. Which was kind of funny because I had a handful of people when I came out to them, they were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. They're like, oh yeah, I know. And I was like, what? (laughs) When did you figure this out? Like, how did, yeah. So I, that was also an entertaining process, but hearing them say that in the moment was a little bit shocking, but also helped to normalize. Um, And I think one of the most thoughtful responses that I had was hearing about a friend that I met freshman year at BYU. And she actually knew in the beginning that I was not straight, but she could tell that because of who I was at the time, I just had that part of me hidden in this like iron walled brick, six foot deep box. And it was, she recognized that it wasn't her place to say anything. And so she watched for five years as I slowly broke down those walls and figured it out. And when I came out to her, she was so excited to finally see the result of all of that growth that she had seen from where I had started in a very black and white, right and wrong world to understanding this part of who I was. And I was actually so confident in my understanding of myself that growing up, there is a very specific moment that I can remember where I started to recognize a pattern of going through difficulties or having mental health issues and figuring it out and then being introduced to someone who was struggling with the same thing where I was able to use what I had just learned. And a lot of it was with mental health issues, but I hit a point where I was just exhausted and tired. And I was like, man, I am so tired of going through all these mental health trials, but like, at least I'm not gay because I don't know how I would deal with that. And that's one of those things where I know Heavenly Father has a little bit of a sense of humor because I just, I didn't even know. I was in such deep denial at that point that I made a comment that would set me up for a harder time understanding myself later. And I didn't even know it. But having those responses of love and not necessarily understanding, but a desire to understand is huge. And that was a really cool phrase from one of my friends. I talked to her in the temple. She, she's a grandma. And I start with that because most people her age that I've seen are relatively set in their understanding of things. But she just has this desire to learn and grow. And I had that prompting to come out to her and was very confused about it because I was in the temple and it was not relevant to anything that we were talking about, but I did. And she had some very close relationships to her that were currently going through that struggle and that process. And her quote that stuck with me in trying to understand others and her desire to to learn without shutting down was it's new territory for so many of us and I don't want there to be a barrier because of a lack of understanding on my end. And hearing that for me just blew my mind because so many people have a fear of that need to understand more where they're set in their ways and any change that could disrupt their pattern is scary. And it is because it leads to opportunities for questions that don't have answers and for 
confusing spirals that can lead to faith crises and uncomfortable topics. But I don't think we were put on a world with challenges like we have today to hide from them. And if anything, those challenges and difficulties lead to, if we're willing, a greater understanding and strength from not only ourselves, but from those that we talk to and discuss with and learn more about. And so that's where it helped for me too if people asked me questions about it because it showed me that they were interested in a way that was genuine rather than afraid or unwilling. I love that. I loved your experience with coming out and I love people keeping the questions focused on you. One of sometimes we'd make the temptation to pivot when someone's vulnerable and pivot to sort of a related topic that's back to back to our story. Well, I have a gay uncle. Let me tell you about his life. And you've just been vulnerable and they've taken that vulnerability and sort of pivoted on what they want to talk about. So I love your inviting people to stay focused on your story because you've been vulnerable and asking questions. It's a couple of interesting nuggets. There were, um, these aren't absolutes, but I do like where people around you that suspected, if that's the right word, you weren't straight, didn't try to out you or force it. Um, Now, I think that's generally, in my experience, the best strategy. There may be an exception for a parent who feels really strong impression because I think sometimes parents get revelation for their minor children (laughs) Um, that, that is helpful. So if you think you've got an LGBTQ kid I think you've just got to receive personal revelation as a parent. Should I actually approach my kid about this topic? A softer approach is just to create a culture right now. Even if you've got kids that are like five and six, you and your spouse just assume that we could have a non-straight child and we want to create a family culture that that kid is going to come out as early as possible so we can walk with that kid. Um, I went to an event a couple of weeks ago and I met parents of that had a 13-year-old son that's out. And I just drove home from that event, Teresa, and I thought, what happened in that family culture that that young man at 13 could come out to his parents and that they could walk that road with him at 13? And I think that that's within the control of LDS parents is to, we're going to create a culture and you've got to say kind things about and you can use church quotes. There's Our leaders have said kind things about LGBTQ people. And so you can, at the age appropriate, start talking kindly. Um, and if you've got a family member that's LGBTQ, you can start to talk kindly about that person, even if that person's not fully participating in the church. Because I think it just sends a message to your kids that I can talk to mom and dad about anything because they are talking like that about these other people in their lives. And so that's, a, that's sort of a plan B strategy. If you have a parent, don't feel like you're going to directly ask your kid if they're not straight. Another concept in there <clears throat> that some have told me can be unhelpful is if when you come out to them, they said, I already knew. <laughs> um, some have reported that that is deflating to them and sort of dismissive and sort of invalidates their experience. And I can't quite put that into words, but I'm aware that some people feel that way and that they didn't even know this about them, but everybody else did. So it's somehow, I don't know if you want to connect any dots there. I don't know if you felt any of that or if you were just glad that people were walking with you. So if you've got any comments on any of those sections, I'd love to hear them. That second part is very individual. Okay. Um, 
I explained how I responded. But in the beginning, when I did have one or two say that, the immediate bodily response that I had was a freeze anxiety. Where uh, A freeze anxiety. <laughs> so I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't really know how to think about that. And it just stressed me out until I was able to understand myself enough that, okay, them seeing that was not a bad thing. Good. So it takes time and that's something to be very, very careful with. Um, like it works for me. I'm blunt, I'm direct, but. I love the way you kind of got to the point where what they were seeing in you is actually, that was the non-straight part of you. However, they were seeing that that you're so at peace with who you are and have sort of got all this internalized homophobia out of that that part that they were seeing, you like now. And so even though they saw it quicker than you saw it at times, you're not ashamed of that part about you. So to me, it helps me understand where you are um, spiritually, emotionally on this issue, that you own all of you in a really good, wonderful way. That has taken a lot. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm still working on that. Um, but what did help actually was part of my process of understanding myself was I needed that support from Heavenly Father, from the Spirit, because I had no direction and no understanding and a lot of confusion. Um, and so what was interesting to me as I was learning more about myself, the Spirit would direct me to memories from growing up that fit this orientation aspect of myself that I had never looked at in that light before. And that for me was really helpful in having a more full understanding that it's not something that I chose. It's not something that all of a sudden developed when I was 21 because my brain decided to click. It's something that has just always been a part of how Heavenly Father created me. And it also gave me opportunity to kind of look back and laugh at some of the experiences that I had because I can see it. I was the biggest tomboy. I fit a lot of the stereotypes of bisexual or lesbian, and I didn't understand it at the time. And especially when I was first figuring it out, that concept stressed me out. But now that I recognize it, it's just entertaining to me because you can either laugh at it or cry. And I think it was President Hinckley's wife that said uh, <laughs> that you can laugh or you can cry, and crying gives me a headache. So. <laughs> You were in a great spot. <laughs> it's it's taken a lot, but I've had some incredible people, incredibly supportive friends. And one thing you talked about family. Um, when I came out to my brother, it was it was a bigger thing mentally, but I didn't have the courage to just like directly say it and pause and wait for his response i had to explain a story and then halfway through the story be like by the way this only makes sense if i tell you that i'm bisexual and then continue the story That's great. <laughs> so i didn't give him a chance to breathe much and take that in and i actually did that with a couple people because it was it's a stressful thing it's a big part of yourself and i we were never the siblings that would talk about our feelings or emotions or the worries that we had until we got older and understood some of those things. But we still weren't at a point where I would expect much of an emotional response. So after I finished the story, I was very much expecting him to 
pull the whole being on my side of, yeah, it's lame that this thing happened to you. And like, I'm sorry about that. But the first thing he did was he gave me a hug. Wow. And uh, my family is not one that hugs a lot. Wow. And uh, it's one of those, my sister's in California, my brother's in Washington, my parents are in Florida and I'm in Utah. And we see each other twice a year and we hug at the airport when we see each other and we hug it when we leave. And uh, at least for the siblings. <laughs> but having that reaction of just love is huge. And that's all that especially children need. Um, where it's not our place to tell someone that their understanding of themselves doesn't fit a plan that we have in our minds because there's this plan that Heavenly Father has created to fit everyone. And if you take a step outside, you can tell everyone is different from everyone. So the best that we can do when we don't understand is to love. And that was a cool piece that one of my friends shared of how she's learned and developed with her understanding of how to balance being a supportive ally while also balancing the aspect of her beliefs and her understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I feel like that's a hard thing for people where they feel like they can't tell someone that they love them without condoning the sin, what they see as a sin. And that phrasing itself is hard because it automatically condemns whatever is being talked about. And she's learned and I have learned that all we can do is follow Christ's example. And Christ didn't walk around with the people who were perfect. He found those that were imperfect because more often than not, those of us that are imperfect are the ones that are in need of the healing. And if we're willing to reach out and show that we also have scars, then it often provides an opportunity for others to be able to heal with you. And even if it's not a situation that you understand and can fully empathize, empathize with, you can still go with them there. And that's all that we need sometimes because it's hard. And when we recognize someone trying to put in that effort, it means a lot more than any of us could ever say. I love what you teach about love and um, to me, the love the Lord and love our fellow men are one equal co-commandment. And um, Steve Young's got a new book, listeners, you may be aware of it, called The Law of Love. It's a terrific book along the lines of what you're teaching. And I think we just love others because they deserve to be loved, not because our love will cause their behavior to change, but just because we're part of the same human family. And sometimes when I first stepped in this space, I got some, I still get rebukes of the Spirit and people teach me, but... You know, someone help me this when you hear LGBTQ people sort of word association, like if I say Oreo, you might think milk. If if I my earlier tenure itself would have heard gay people and I would have thought, well, love the sin, hate the sinner. No, I did that backwards, Teresa, didn't I? <laughs> love love the sinner, hate the sin. I maybe I said it backwards. And now my friends just said, let's don't go to sin as soon as we hear the word LGBTQ. Let's don't go to, you know, the church just separated orientation from behavior. So let's extend that courtesy in our thought process that you're just talking about your orientation. 
Um, that's how you're created. The church is acknowledging that people come this way and they can't sort of undo this. They pray the gay away to be straight. And so it's on us is to create community and a feeling of belonging and accept you the way you are. And you've already done that. But I love what you're saying is sometimes we just go to these word associations or we even that often aren't helpful um, and create it all about the whole conversation about commandment keeping or other things versus just what your friends have done, ask you questions about your experience. And there's an article in LDS Living that I'll link in the show notes. It just came out. It's a, a mother in Colorado has got a gay son, LDS mother, and she just talks about what she can do to support her gay son and um, what some of the things that her neighbors did that weren't very helpful, like said, well, you should just bear testimony of the proclamation of the family to your son. Um, and I'm supportive of the proclamation of the family, but if you're, if you're gay, it doesn't really explain how that's how to make a straight marriage work in your life. Unless you feel impressed to make a mixed orientation work marriage work, it doesn't really answer the question how to be on your own for the next 50 years of your life. If you're gay or lesbian, um, and you understand that, I don't know if you want to expound on any of that stuff I just said, but it's just part of when we know better, we do better. Yeah. I, Along those lines, I've learned through my own personal revelation that part of my path is to be a bridge of sorts where I went through the process with one of my therapists that kind of opened that door to being able to marry a woman and still be happy and being able to live that lifestyle that was against everything that I had growing up and still have the spirit there. Um, but over time I learned and feel that it's more my purpose to reach out to a, a different group where, which I can only do through following the plan that my heavenly father has given me. And he directed me to Corbin and I love him a lot. And I have to pick him every day. Some days it's easier than others, but I've learned that that's how it is in every relationship, not just a mixed orientation marriage. But by having the situation that I do, it allows me to reach out to a variety of people that would maybe be more closed-minded to if someone in a same-sex relationship tried to talk to them, where I can point out that I still have all of those qualities and it doesn't disregard that part of myself. And I'm still authentically who I am. I'm just authentically who I am with Corbin. And he's helped me round out in a lot of ways. And there's been a lot of miracles and blessings that have happened that are hard for me to accept sometimes because there are still days that I am confused where I don't fully understand or I don't feel those feelings of affection as strongly as I did with women. But that doesn't mean that I don't love him any less. And that doesn't mean that the choice that I made to follow the prompting that I had to marry him is any less valid. And by following the path that we have, that we feel Heavenly Father has given us, it allows us to often run into opportunities that we never thought would be a thing in the first place. For example, this podcast. I... When I first started to understand myself, I never would have imagined being on a podcast that thousands of people could listen to and sharing my story because I was ashamed of it. 
But now that I have understood that Heavenly Father loves me no matter what, then I'm comfortable sharing this part of myself that there's just not a lot of understanding about yet. That was a really good segment, by the way. Um, in that segment was a therapist and you exploring a same-sex marriage and sort of fully opening the door that that could be your future and you being at peace that that could be your future and you could be happy. I don't know if you use the word happy or it would be okay. Um, to me, that w- 10 years ago, that would have been unsettling for me, but I'm in a different place now where I think that it's appropriate to sort of explore the options and then to make faith-based versus fear-based decisions. You feel called in some ways. Um, you don't feel forced into a mixed orientation marriage by default or it's the only way. You, I feel this feeling that you're called. You and um, and part of it's because you love Corbin, that this isn't just a path that you've been forced into by the circumstances around you. It's a path that you've received personal revelation that is the right path for you. And part of that, because it was even opening the door to different paths. Now, I'm not inviting everybody to do that on the that's listening. But I think, you know, Ben Shalati, I think listeners know him. He's celibate. He's gay. He feels called in my feeling. I don't know if he's ever said those words, but I sense he's he's dated men. He's been honest in his book about that. Um, he, he, I think he feels called to be celibate. And he's ex- fully explored all the options, marrying a woman, marrying a man. And I think he's making a faith-based sort of called, this is my path. I'm not being forced down this path, but I actually feel this is the right path for me. And I think that's a principle the therapist taught me of self-determination is that we, and it's, I think it cl- ties closely with just agency that is part of our doctrine of our church is we let people um, self-determine or have personal agency through their personal revelation, the best path for them. And we love them on those individual paths and we support them, but we don't get prescriptive. I mean, I will always on this podcast and with my own children invite people to follow church teachings. I'll always do that. But I will always say, I love you and I'll support you and I'll walk with you what you think is your best path forward. And my relationship is not conditional on your choices. And I just want to be there walking with you. And so that's the way listeners, I've sort of navigated this, but I loved that you did sort of with your therapist, explore all your options. I think that's really healthy. And I think it helps you feel perhaps more at peace that you, this is your path because you didn't feel forced into it. And you opened the door to other paths. Any, is, is that okay what I said? Yeah, I, I think it's really important that we're willing to open those doors that we've bolted shut where if we're prompted to. We don't always have to, but a lot of growth came for me in understanding that unconditional love by opening those other doors and by understanding. And it reminds me of Elder Holland, one of his stories of the man and his son driving in the middle of nowhere. And they got to their destination and finished their trip and were on their way back. And there was a fork in the road. And they weren't sure which direction to go, so they prayed about it, and they were directed down 
one of the two paths. But the path ended fairly quickly after they started down it. And at first it was confusing because they didn't understand why they would be prompted to follow a dead end. When after taking a step back, it was realizing that by going down that path, by learning more about it, they were able to know of a for surety that they were going the right way by taking the other one. I love that talk. I can almost visualize for some reason Southern Utah. I don't know if he actually said it was in <laughs> Southern Utah. You work in Southern Utah, but I'm I love that. And I think if we walk with people um and say, even if we feel that they're choosing the wrong path, I think we can say, I'll walk with you, non-agenda love. Um, I'm not going to say I told you so. And so then I think if they feel a course correction, it's easier to sort of open up to people around you that have sort of not just said, well, you'll come back and tell me you were wrong. And I don't think we should do that. I think that's this agenda sort of controlling influence that maybe we feel like, but that's kind of the plan we voted against in the pre-earth life in some ways. So (laughs) I'm trying to do that better in my life but it's hard sometimes when you see people you love where you really feel they're making the wrong choice but i do love elder holland's talk we're getting to close to the end and i'm doing quite a bit of talking so i'm worried now i've kept you from sharing things you'd like to share so scan we can go as long as you want i want to make sure that everything you would like to share you share i kind of the final piece that I have on here that is fairly important that has been talked about in some of your other podcasts, but I wanted to bring up was attachment styles. So please do. That was huge for me. I, it was another therapist and this is actually a more recent understanding of how my mind works with people was learning about attachment styles and kind of the brief rundown is you have a secure attachment style where you're not worried about anything. You understand what your role is and you have a stable understanding of what you're needed to do. There's the anxious attachment style where some of the qualities, not all of them are you're worried a lot in the relationship. You fear that if there's a change in their demeanor, it's your own fault and you need to talk things through to get a confirmation that they're not mad at you. And if they, leave or don't respond to a text for a certain amount of time then you kind of copy that and also don't respond for the same amount of time or just things like that um there's the anxious sorry avoidant attachment style where when you get too close or vulnerable in a relationship your mind makes you take a step back as a protection because there's a worry that something might happen and you're just more aloof almost. And it's harder to get closer because your mind sees the situation and just assumes that they're going to be fine if you leave for who knows how long or if you don't communicate certain things. And then there's the avoidant attachment, anxious avoidant attachment style, also sometimes called dysfunctional, which is a combination of both. And almost doesn't seem to make sense because you have this anxious, worried need to make sure everything's okay in the relationship, but also don't talk to me, don't touch me, you're fine. And it is just very confusing, which I can say because I've learned that I have that dysfunctional attachment style. And I learned that 
but there were even further steps that I needed to understand because I took a quiz for one of my therapists and the first time I took that quiz I was just so confused because multiple parts of that quiz I had two different answers for and I was like I don't understand why I feel both of these things at the same time and I don't know how to do that how to navigate it but then I realized afterwards that my attachment style differs between genders where with women I'm much more anxious where there's the touchy-feely aspect, there's that need to be with them all the time, and there's the worry that like, if anything changes, dynamic-wise, it's your fault, you need to fix it. But with men, I was always avoidant. And my therapist helped me realize that this has been a thing my entire life. It hasn't just been once I started dating Corbin. It wasn't a thing that started when I got married. It's been how I interact with men where I am okay not receiving texts from them most of the day and not really keeping them in the loop and I'm comfortable holding them at a distance but having some vulnerable conversations sometimes but not getting too close or else something might happen and that was hard for me because in the dating process with Corbin I compared dating him to pretty much the only what I felt was good healthy relationship that I had and that was with some women that I had become close with and uh, it just didn't make sense because none of the same boxes were filled I didn't have the desire to be cuddling with him 24 7 and I didn't feel a need to be intimate and vulnerable and learn every single thing about him which made me feel like the relationship was wrong that I that it wasn't going to work out because it didn't fit the bill that I had written. It didn't hit all these goals and standards that I had set because the process of coming out and learning about my orientation was this like explosive, incredibly emotional, exciting thing with the best friend at the time. And with Corbin, I just didn't feel like there was any of those explosions. And I forget where it was. It might've been in one of the books that I read, but it was basically pointing out that oh, so when you're with Corbin, you're not anxious. Because those fireworks, that extreme excitement and need to be together and close all the time is an anxious response. And Corbin is very secure. He has minimal anxious tendencies, which doesn't work great with my avoidant ones, but we learn to compromise because we talk about it and understand that our minds just work differently. But... Learning about the attachment styles helped me understand how my mind worked and how those relationships were, quote, supposed to be, even though no one writes a book about how a relationship is supposed to go. We just create these unrealistic expectations in our mind based on how we see others, and others tend to only show the highlights. So, for example, I go to a married singles ward. Nope. That... (laughs) We'll take that out. That's like me doing things. <laughs> I make up things like that. Um, I go to a married student ward. So we, we all go to church and the church is just full of newlyweds and these couples. There's a few with little kids that are all less than a year old. And I'm just surrounded by affection that was overwhelming because I didn't feel that in the same way for Corbin. Church was a safe place, 
but it was also a hard place because I saw all of these highlights of how the world, per- like different examples of how the world perceives what relationships should be like. And I just wasn't there. And it was hard because Corbin and I had to talk about it because he also recognized that. And he felt that we weren't in the place that we should be because of how he saw others. And we had to have multiple discussions on what we were both comfortable with and what each other does to show signs of love rather than the stereotypical PDA or being cute and always saying nice things about your partner 24-7 when you're with other people and being unable to be a part where that's not how everything works. And so learning about these attachment styles was huge because Corbin was able to understand where my mind was at and that the way that I was acting was not because I didn't love him and I didn't choose him. It was because I was still learning and growing in how I could better fit his persona, which takes a lifetime, if not more, but thankfully we have that. That's a terrific segment. We've never gotten into that um, in the podcast. Um, I'll tell you the couple thoughts that come to my mind is this idea you chose Corbin and you chose this is not a default decision where because you had all these op- doors open to you that you were fully considering and and that even in that understanding of the attachment syndrome, you love Corbin and you chose Corbin. And because you have these communication skills that I didn't, you know, that generally my generation doesn't have it, that you have at your age. We, I see this in our own kids. We have kids your age. It allows these kind of conversations to happen and then be at peace that you are where you are and that you love each other. And just because it's a little different at church doesn't mean you don't love each other. But I, one of the things that also comes to my mind is that LGBTQ people perhaps develop better skills because often they do work with the therapist and they learn vulnerability and they learn communication. And, and you bring that into a marriage, but then you're going to bring that as parents. So one of the parts of this beautiful love story between you and Corbin, and no marriage is perfect, but it's a love story is this deep, honest, vulnerable communication that I think, you know, when you start to raise kids with these skills, um, I think it'll be a tremendous blessing for your kids. And some of your greatest parenting moments, I think, will be the skills you've learned already and being able to then apply them to raising especially teenage kids (laughs) Um, that just... And so I think it's part of your beautiful love story, but what you've done, the hard work you've done um, to get to where you are is going to pay incredible dividends, I think, in your marriage um, as a parent, but also as a leader and the way you serve in any circles, because you just have more skill and more understanding in multiple areas to heal and bring hope. Um, So I'm just, I love, and I love that you're normalizing just different attachments I do remember those BYU wards. We went, uh, we were married and came back to BYU for work and went to one of those wards. And yeah, I mean, it was, I do remember that experience. And um, I've never thought of what it would be like for someone who doesn't quite fit in there. But I love, you know, this in Brene Brown, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be. Belonging 
doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And you're, you've done that, doing that. But then even in your own marriage, you're doing that. Um, you're not taking the stereotypic expectations. You're having enough confidence in your marriage to talk to, your, to Corbin and sort of chart your own course. And you both know you love each other. And I think it's beautiful. And it creates principles for others that maybe in straight marriages that are being helped for what you share right now. Just because there's probably a lot of difference in straight marriages <laughs> with attachment types. Yes. Um, <laughs> that was great. Um, and listeners, Teresa's 24. When we, you know, this is what gives me so much hope, the future of the world, the future of our churches, women and men of this age group, just with more skill and understanding, more education, just to be able to help us create Zion and help solve serious world challenges with the skills they have. Other things you'd like to share? I really, the only important bit that I put in the notes was uh, my mission scripture, actually, which little context was only my mission scripture because my brother made a comment that made me switch my scripture because I felt like I needed a quote better one which that's just siblings <laughs> that's never the case like if you like a scripture go with it but this one was also incredibly impactful for me and it's in Alma 38 it's verses 11 and 12 and I think it's very relevant with this kind of topic with these vulnerable conversations that a lot of people just don't have a full understanding of. Um, the verse says, see that ye are not lifted up unto pride. Yea, see that you do not boast in your own wisdom, nor of your much strength. Use boldness, but not overbearance. And also see that you bridle all your passions, that ye may be filled with love. See that you refrain from idleness. And the biggest pieces for me in that are use boldness, but not overbearance. Because these topics are hard. They're sensitive, they're misunderstood, and when we're bold and overdo it, it only creates more boundaries and walls that are harder to break through. But as long as we're willing to listen to the Spirit and let that understanding that our revelation is different from others' revelation guide and direct us, that allows us to still be bold and still have what needs to be said, but it allows the Spirit to work. and teach in a way that we can't on our own. I love that. Um, if any of your family is listening, this is a credit to you for the family member you have, the wonderful woman that Teresa is your foundation um, and um, respect to your family, respect to you. Um, you're very grounded um, and you're making faith-based decisions. Um, just a couple comments. I hesitate to talk too much. I just wanted, in my first book called, If You're Not Familiar, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, I talk about mixed orientation marriages in chapter nine. And I'll read just a little bit. Um, it was only after interviewing several couples in mixed orientation marriages that my conclusion changed. I actually felt a rebuke from the spirit during one of these interviews from my false conclusions. I now understand these marriages can be beautiful and authentic love stories in which honesty, communication, vulnerability, power of and commitment to eternal covenants, and common eternal goals 
create a strong and healthy foundation. Um, I sometimes hear of a spouse in a mixed orientation as the hero for making the marriage work. In some cases, the straight spouse. In some cases, the non-straight spouse. I'm not sure we should judge who is more or less of a hero. I'm not sure any of us understand the insight complexities of another marriage to elevate one spouse over the other. Um, and then I sort of talk about some of these marriages can succeed even if um, the spouse comes out after marriage. But I'm seeing, and I, you're an example of this, just more being open and completely honest in the dating process about um, their lives. So if you want to read more of that, that's chapter nine of Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints at Desert Book and Amazon. Um, I think we both point you to the book by Megan Decker, um, um, Tender Leaves of Hope. That's also at Desert Book and Amazon. Um, one of the challenges of the podcast is I tend to have more men on the podcast than women. <laughs> and so that's why I was really glad Teresa reached out because there's probably just as many women that identify as bisexual, or lesbian, or gay as men. But maybe in society, there's a little more acceptance of that for men. I don't know. I don't want to be quoted on that. I don't know the science of that, but I just know we have less stories from women. So I'm really glad to have your, you on the podcast. But Megan Decker's book, Tender Leaves of Hope, is Megan's story. As a gay Latter-day Saint married to a man, she's a personal friend from high school. We're both the same class of Highland High School in Salt Lake City of 1979. That age is both of us. But um, she has a book, not only her story, but about 20 other stories. So that's a great other resource, if, especially if you're parenting a, a female child who's not straight or you yourself aren't straight and female or have priesthood responsibility over somebody that's um, female, there may be some differences there between a male story. And so that's why it's really important to listen to lots of stories. Um, any, so now I've kind of done a long conclusion, but I'm going to still give you the final word if there's anything else that came to your mind. Just that you're not alone if you're working through this. It's a very isolating process if we let it. And that's part of the reason I'm doing this is I would encourage you to reach out to someone, to others, or even reach out to me because I learn so much from stories like this. And I wouldn't be here today where I am if I hadn't been willing to reach out and listen to what others had to say to help me understand this part of myself as well. How would people reach out to you? We could tag you on social media. Do you want us to, to, to tag you? Tell us what, what tags we'll put in so people can find you. Yeah, just Facebook or Instagram both work. And it's the same spelling as at the very beginning of the podcast. So, All right. So please reach out to Teresa. I think she'll be willing to walk with you and help you. And I will tag in the show notes on her Facebook profile or Instagram so you can DM her, I think is the term that you're all using. <laughs> on social media and um it's from all the listeners that have been helped and the principles and the inspiration thank you Teresa Myers terrific this is a great podcast and so glad for your courage to reach out to me and share your story this will help people for a long time and so this is Teresa Myers and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen Learn and Love